Welcome to the College Commons Podcast, passionate perspectives from Judaism's leading thinkers, brought to you by the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion, America's first Jewish institution of higher learning. My name is Joshua Holo, Dean of HUC's Jack H. Skirball Campus in Los Angeles, and your host. You're listening to a special episode recorded at the URJ Biennial in December of 2019. Welcome to this edition of the College Commons Podcast, where I'm very excited to introduce you to two leaders of Reform Judaism from around the world. First, I'd like to introduce Hernán Rustein, who currently resides in Buenos Aires, Argentina, where he serves as the CEO, student rabbi, and chazan at Templo Libertad, Argentina's oldest congregation. He's currently an advanced rabbinical student at the Ibero-American Institute for Reform Rabbinical Education. Previously, he trained in Jerusalem at the Conservative Yeshiva and the Seminario in the field of Chazanut, and he has sung in the Vatican to Pope Francis. And second, we have Rita Fruman, who was raised in the Reform Movement in Belarus, ultimately becoming the director of the Minsk Netzer Club, where she oversaw the training of the next generation of leaders in Jewish summer camps. In 2003, she made Aliyah, and she began to work for the World Union for Progressive Judaism, and today she serves as the director of WUPJ Operations and Programs in the former Soviet Union. Welcome to both of you, and thank you for joining me. Thank you. Rita, I'd like to start with you and uh, get some sense of what it means to be a Jew today in Belarus, uh, where you continue to work and, of course, where you grew up, as we learned in your intro. So start with some of the basic facts. How many Jews are there in Belarus today? Uh, I don't know exactly how many Jews are living now because uh, for these last 20 years, I think maybe a lot of people live to Israel and other countries. Um, uh, but there are um, thousands of Jews, I think, still living there and um, having all kind of different experience from the Orthodox to secular um, one. But um, it's pleasure and honor to say that the reform movement is the very strong movement in Belarus now. We have a very big, strong community in Minsk, um, Simcha, Sheket, and Tamar. Three communities are gathering together in the Center for Progressive Judaism uh, that we bought together with World Union donors and sponsorship. And uh, it's uh, maybe a central place where not just only Jews are coming together, but um, people from all kinds of different interface dialogue um, Mm. groups, United Nations groups of people that are representing their social justice uh, activities in Belarus. As partners with this association. As partners with this uh, association, yes. And also, uh, this center is a unique place that are gathered together three communities. The Simcha one, this is a community for uh, all kinds of different ages. Uh, The Sheket community, this is the death community. And the Tamar, this is the youth and young adult community. So um, one of the questions I have uh, with respect to Belarus, it's a separate country from Russia, but its culture is very connected to Russian culture. I assume the languages are mutually intelligible. And is it the case that the Jewish community in particular tends to speak Russian? The Jewish community tends to speak Russian, Hebrew, and a little bit English. Mm. 
the common language between Belarus and Russia is Russian, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of space and events that Belarusian is also the part of the speaking language in the community. And what's the primary motivation for the Aliyah you spoke about where uh, it seems to be a regular stream of people are leaving? I can say from my personal example, my reason for Aliyah was very Zionist reason. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in the youth movement, uh, Zionist youth movement. So uh, the love to Israel was a part of our thoughts about life was the was the zionist youth movement in belarus transdenominational or was it specifically reform zionist it was specifically reform zionist um, you spoke of the of the vibrancy of reform judaism in particular today in minsk and belarus can you articulate what it is about reform judaism in particular that's so compelling to the belarusian community reform uh, communities have their unique um, possibility to give space for everybody, for Jews who are religious or less religious, for those who are also non-Jews but want to be a part of the Jewish experience and Jewish lives. And uh, actually we have a lot of very, very strong um, group of people who are interested to be interested to be a part of the community just by coming and praying together or coming and learning together about the Judaism as a historical unique uh, story um, and some of them are decided to go through yeah. the conversion process so um, this is uh, very very unique for Belarus uh, specifically and for all former Soviet Union now that we have a lot of people who maybe have some roots, but have no documents, because uh, during the World War II, all the things was just gone. Uh, so they feel their connection. They can't bring any document that's saying that father or brother or grandma or grandpa was true, were Jew, and um, this is the opportunity for them to come to the open and pluralistic community uh, and to try to learn how, what does it mean to be a modern Jew in modern life. That's a beautiful story. That's really powerful. Hernan, um, Argentina is the largest Jewish community in Latin America with an amazing history of incredible institutions and, um, and Zionist uh, passion. I speak now with complete envy as an American Jew who sent both of his children to Jewish school, kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. I went to day school. The thing that is most powerful to me about Argentinian Judaism is Hebrew. Argentine Jews have a deep and really successful tradition of learning and teaching Hebrew. And I want to ask if that tradition is still alive. Are you the product of that tradition? Is it still that way that your average Argentine Jew can converse in Hebrew off the street. So first of all, thank you for your pronunciation, since we're speaking about language of my name. <laughs> uh, and well, the thing is that the educa- Jewish education in, in Argentina has never been one of Sunday school, but uh, going to 
a Jewish school the entire day long, from morning to evening. Day school. Yeah, day school. So, uh, and those are schools that belong to the communities. They're they're not free. You have to pay for them. You right? have to pay for them. Yes, they're not uh, uh, so state related and no sent- state subsidies. Uh, there are state subsidies for for every private school. I see. Uh, but still, they have to pay, and they're not uh, inexpensive. Yes, indeed. Um, so, the, since you're the entire day there, uh, Zionism and Hebrew become a part of the curricula. Uh, uh, your regular way of uh, studying and so uh, Hebrew has been always strong you were asking if that tradition uh, remains in some cases it remains in some others it doesn't Uh, it it depended on several on several items one English has been considered a more useful language so it, it started to go into English uh, and on the other hand, uh, these community schools have been shrinking, and Jewish people have begun sending their kids to either public schools, which are free, uh, or to some other Jewish organizations that want to be more pluralistic and universal, like ORT. Uh, right. And ORT's, ORT opened uh, an elementary school, and a lot of children are going there. So we see that uh, as a, that culture of Hebrew is slowly decaying. I'm not the product of that because uh, I, I went to a different sort of school. I went to uh, another private school that was not Jewish related. So uh, I, I, I'm still learning my <laughs> Hebrew every day. One of the great things about Brazilian Judaism is that it's almost 50% Sephardi and 50% Ashkenazi. It's a, it's a much more balanced mix than we're used to in the United States. The United States is overwhelmingly Ashkenazi. What are the proportions in Argentina? Um, so yes, it's more Ashkenazi, and uh, the Sephardim, uh, of course, uh, there's uh, it's a fluid community, uh, but uh, congre- Sephardi congregations tend to be more uh, of its own. They have their, their their own sort of congregations. They're more Orthodox, uh, and so the people who leave those congregations tend to not go back. Around the world. Uh, American Jews tend to understand the rest of diaspora as um, passively orthodox or default orthodox, where the orthodox institutions dominate and Jews may or may not be orthodox or they may or may not be orthopractic, but they recognize orthodoxy uh, in a default way. That's the way American Jews often imagine the diaspora. In Argentina, at least, we'll talk about Belarus in a minute. In Argentina, that's not the case. In Argentina, conservative Judaism has been the strongest form of Judaism because now for over half a century, there has been a seminary, which you attended, the Seminario in Argentina, um, that has really placed conservative Judaism at the center of mainstream Argentine uh, Judaism. In that context, can you articulate what Reform Judaism in particular teaches Argentine Judaism that's so important and so urgent? Well, the thing is that conservative Judaism uh, was able to take over all of the liberal positions that were existing uh, up until 1960s in in Argentina because of the charisma and uh, excellent work done by Marshall Mayer, a U.S. rabbi, that came to my synagogue which is the oldest one, and he started preaching there about the goodies of conservative Judaism. And he was such an important figure in our region uh, that all of the liberal Judaism became Masorti or conservative. 
And now we want to clean back that, that spot. Because what happened is that since everyone started to think about liberal Judaism as conservative, uh, most people who are either secular or would be reforming their ideologies pretend that want to make conservative Judaism something like reform, which is not. And so uh, conservative rabbis are fighting to uh, create uh, conservative institutions with people that live their lives uh, more closely to either secular or reform Judaism. So an institutionalized and clear and coherent uh, reform uh, world uh, is able to give to the people what they are actually living right now without making them say, well, what you're doing is not right. You should be more halachic, but okay, we'll, we'll work on it. No, what you're doing is Jewish. It's okay, and we're here for you. Let's build a community. Uh, so I think uh, reform Judaism, what, what can bring to the region is a more satisfying way of uh, living your Jewish life in community. Uh, and to educate and to marry and to love and to eat and to pray in a, in a way that's more similar to how you feel that your Judaism belongs to you. I know that for um, the reform movement, it's a tremendous honor and source of satisfaction through the World Union to be supporting these models of Reform Judaism in your world, this openness that you spoke of in Belarus, and this uh, ideological realization of the life you're living in Argentina and any number of other things going on around the world. I want to ask you what we American Jews can learn from your experiences. What is it about, about Argentine Judaism that can inspire American Reform Judaism in ways that maybe we don't expect or we're not even aware of? Well, not taking for granted that Jews uh, are progressive and uh, reform uh, and uh, that that needs to be built and that you all the time need to uh, go to your roots and see <clears throat> what makes you a Jew and that you need to fight for your identity to make it uh, coherent with your way of life. And uh, the, um, a lot of effort goes into building a congregation uh, that We've not always been there. Congregations are not there for forever. They start at some point, and they need maintenance and work of hard and hard work of a lot of people. And I think that that's something to to learn to to, to be builders and not only consumers. I think, and I, I think that <clears throat> this is maybe a little bit related to your previous question that the uniqueness of Reform Judaism, in we are thinking about the Orthodox Judaism and Reform Judaism also in Belarus, that the Reform Judaism giving you the point that you are coming to your roots and you first of all need to understand what is important for yourself, for your identity, for your Jewish identity, and then, then to start to prayer or to do something at your home and at your community but first of all it's understanding like you and your soul you and your mind as a jew and then doing things uh, lighting the uh, lights during the hanukkah or making the uh, matzah on pesach so first of all understanding and then doing maybe in orthodox community it's First of all, doing things and then understanding actually why. And 
um, the reform communities in Belarus, particularly and in general in former Soviet Union, I think that uh, this is the unique place that you can be yourself, you can be uh, proud of who you are, um, and everybody is so um, grateful for this opportunity to be also the Russian, Belarusian, Ukraine citizen and Jew, sometimes Jew is the first, and then the citizen of this country that you're living in. But the feeling that you are the part of something more bigger, global, that you are part of the Jewish history and life and roots and ideological things, uh, giving our people a feeling of uh, being together, being a big family. Before we return to the podcast, we want to let you know about digital learning on the College Commons platform. Beyond this podcast, which is available to the public at large, check out the online courses at collegecommons.huc.edu for in-depth learning, digital syllabi, assignments, inspiration for teaching, and one of our most influential courses called Making Prayer Real. Subscribe with your synagogue for all this and more. Just click sign up at collegecommons.huc.edu. Oh, and one more thing. Help us out and rate us on iTunes. But whatever you do, do not give us five stars. Unless we deserve it. Now, back to our podcast. So, uh, in particular with respect to Belarus, um, as you know, the vast, vast majority of American Jews have some roots, often all of their roots, um, in Eastern Europe in general, often Belarus, Ukraine, Poland, etc., Lithuania, Russia, um, in overwhelming proportions, which means that almost every American Jew has an imagined memory, not a real memory, but an imagined memory of the shtetl, of the old world, of the, of, 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 uh, the pale of settlement, etc. So I want to give you an opportunity to um, disabuse us of any myths that are inaccurate. What, what do you think Americans misunderstand about the Belarusian Jewish experience? I think that one thing is that we are so small. We are not small. Like the shtetl, yeah. everybody thinking that shtetl is something very, very small. It was so small before the World War II. No, it was not small. Uh, cities, villages, uh, country in, in general was full of Jews. I can say about uh, my own uh, Grodno, my own city, the 75% of people who lived in Grodno before World War, World War II were Jews. So it's a Jewish city. So this, is, well, this was a Jewish city, and unfortunately, with all the tragic uh, history, um, we know that people were killed and uh, destroyed, and the city actually was uh, destroyed. But now, this is some kind of renaissance of Jewish life, and I'm so proud that this is also the renaissance of reformed Jewish life in Belarus, that we can say we are strong. We are the majority of, in Belarus particularly, all the streams of uh, Judaism. Uh, people are coming to us and feeling that we are a proud part of uh, Judaism and Jewish 
peoplehood. And the other thing that people think the shtetl as an orthodox uh, stream before World War II, that everybody was some kind of orthodox Jews, and I think it's not truth. I think that the reform roots or some kind of reform thinking, right. Certainly the modern Haskala, thinking, yeah. Ascala, yes, was there uh, 70, 75 years ago and even more, and it just needed to be a little bit uh, waking up. <laughs> so this is what happened now. As you know, Ernan, um, Americans have all kinds of stereotypes about Latin America in general. Uh, and I don't know if we differentiate between the Jewish story and the non-Jewish story in Latin America in people's minds or not. I wouldn't presume to know. Given the fact that Americans have all kinds of preconceived notions about Latin America in general, what do you think American Jews, Americans in general, need to understand about the Jewish experience in Argentina that maybe they have no way of knowing unless you tell them? Well, uh, there are many questions that usually arise. For example, how many members does your synagogue have? And we don't count ourselves like that. We just open our gates and people come in whenever they want. And uh, usually for high holidays we have full house with all of the people that usually come and that you see the faces of everyone. And they come only for, for, for that moment. Um, and that's where we get all our, all our money from those days, you know. Uh, but we have some people paying monthly fees because they want to, but we don't have membership. We just go wherever we feel comfortable. Uh, and uh, what happened, for example, with my synagogue, we used to be in the Jewish neighborhood, and now it's no longer the Jewish neighborhood. So we have a big building, and uh, perhaps 60 people come for Shabbat. But most people went to a trendier neighborhood where trendier jobs were being uh, obtained. And now you have like 10 synagogues there to, for you to choose from. And sometimes you go to one and sometimes you go to the other. And then you come back to my synagogue because that's where your grandparents were married. So you marry there or you go to a synagogue that thinks this way, but you send your children to a synagogue that thinks the other way because it's close by to your house. Um, so that that sense of congregational life that is not only Jewish here, but also you need you know you have your evangelical church in front of the synagogue where all of the people from that neighborhood go to. That those sort of life is not how uh, Jews in our city live their their Jewish life. They relate to Jewish institutions in different ways. The second to last question, not the last question, I want to ask you. It also has to do with perceptions about anti-Semitism. Uh, in general, American Jews, I think it's safe to say in this year, uh, at the end of 2019, feel that anti-Semitism is on the rise in the United States and worldwide, or at the very least, that the, um, that the inhibitors of anti-Semitism have been removed and, and the, the, the existing anti-Semitism has been allowed to express itself more. I want to ask you um, how you feel about that observation. Does it apply to your respective countries? And um, do you think it applies worldwide? From my understanding, in general, I agree. Um, there is some big changes are happening in all over the world. Maybe in Belarus, Russia, and Ukraine, it's still not so strong as we feel it in the United States now and in Europe uh, specifically. Um, but I can see that something happening, the feeling that 
it's cool to be Jew now in Belarus, uh, exists still. And uh, 30 years ago, maybe 40 years ago, this was totally different feeling because people was shamed to be a Jew and they was even, they didn't want to say their mother name uh, in front of the class because the mother's name was very Jew and they preferred to say that I don't remember what mother's name is. This is not the same feeling today, but um, definitely uh, something going on and maybe uh, my feeling and my understanding of the situation is not just only the anti-Semitistic things, anti-Semitism, uh, maybe even more xenophobia, mm -hmm. the lack of tolerance that are going through all over the world, and people are very, very problematic situation with the other, not like me, person that is coming to my country, people who are refugees, and etc., etc. So uh, I feel that we have huge change in 21st century, um, going with the tolerance problems, and um, um, also I really believe that we as the Jews we have some kind of additional responsibility to be this light, this uh, way. Um, to show all over the world that it don't need to be like that. We need to respect all of the people, and uh, from this respect can born a wonderful things, not only in a Jewish life, but in, in all over the world. Well said, well said. Thank you. Hernan? So in Argentina, we have a history of dialogue between different cultures and, and, and ethnic groups and, and religions. Uh, and the recent studies show that uh, even though there's been an increase in the reports of uh, anti-Semitism in violence, it, it, it mainly goes to websites and uh, especially on news, uh, news, uh, on news portals uh, and Facebook and not so much in the ground. Uh, and uh, the perception of how... Uh, non-Jews Argentines see Judaism actually in the, ten, the ten, last 10 years studies show that it's improved that uh, we are uh, being seen by the majority of the people who took a part of the investigation uh, as part of the, Jew, of the Argentine identity after Spain and Italy Gallego, Tano, Hebreo. exactly yeah. yes uh, so people from Spain people from Italy and Jewish people are uh, the main parts of the Argentine culture. So we are not the other, but part of the native Argentineness. Uh, in, a, in a characteristically New World way. Uh, yeah. That's very typical exactly. of, the, of the New World. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And uh, when you see the political uh, problems with anti Semitism in the political systems in Europe, for example, uh, you don't have that in Argentina. We our government just changed, and the last government, one of my rabbis, Sergio Berman, he was a minister of the government, for, of the environment. On the other um, administration, you had two Jewish ministers. I mean, they were not rabbis like, like Sergio, but they were still Jewish, and they were handling the education. Um, uh, so uh, even now, the, the new president said on, on his inauguration speech that 
no discrimination must be tolerated in our country, nor by religion, nor by but color of the skin, nothing. So you don't have that violence, that xenophobia in our political system. In the two main uh, parties, let's say, of Argentina, you don't see uh, extreme extremism in, in, in pointing to the other as the guilty part of something. Uh, so I think that our position is relatively good. Uh, I don't see anti-Semitism in the rise. I see it, uh, of course, uh, latent as it's always been in uh, almost anywhere, and that we need to be, take care of, and we need to uh, uh, see every situation and, and report it, and also not spreading fake news. There's been much talk about an attack on a rabbi on the streets of Buenos Aires recently, uh, and that rabbi even said, no, they didn't attack me. They did attack me, but it, it wasn't an anti-Semitic thing. And so we need to take care of ourselves and not uh, being uh, taking this subject so lightly, so as to say, anti-Semitism is on the rise as, an, as something that's absolutely true. Uh, but that we should always take care of each point of view. So I want to close by asking you one thing about American Judaism, not necessarily Reform Judaism, but one thing about American Judaism that inspires you, that you feel can teach your communities? For me, it's the openness for new connections and new friends. The Judaism in the United States is so welcoming, it's so, it's huge. Like I really feel that the United States as a country is very open for people who are Jews, giving them a lot of uh, possibilities uh, here and the big synagogues, like for example, they may, I think I live in Israel, but the biggest synagogue what I <laughs> ever see, I see in right. New York <laughs> and not in Jerusalem. So uh, here the Judaism is so open and welcoming that uh, each time that I come in here and it's inspired me once and once and once uh, again because people are very very, very welcoming. So I think this goes beyond just Jewish. It's about American and Argentine cultures, but it's the solid institutions, the long-term planning, uh, the vision of uh, betting in creating institutions and just maintaining them uh, with a coherent way of thinking and uh, organizing. Uh, I think uh, we should learn from that, from creating something and actually sustaining it with planning and, uh, and long-term aspirations. Well, on behalf of the Hebrew Union College and personally, I want to tell you what a source of pride it is for me to work with you, our friends around the world, our brothers and sisters around the world, and with the World Union for Progressive Judaism, and working with the Instituto Iberoamericano de Formación Rabinica, which is the Ibero-American Institute for Rabbinic Education, of which um, Hernan is a student and whom I've had the pleasure of teaching. Um, it really is a privilege to be associated with you, and here's to our continued friendship and partnership. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the College Commons Podcast, produced and edited by Jennifer Howd, and brought to you by the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion. For this URJ Biennial series, special thanks to Mark Palavin, the URJ Chief Program Officer and Biennial Director, and Liz Grumbacher, Director of North American Events. We hope you've enjoyed this episode, and please join us again at collegecommons.huc.edu.